The title of this morning's message is A Snapshot of the Wise Men. A Snapshot of the Wise Men. And our scripture is found in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. That's Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And, and we're going to focus especially on verse 11. But I want to read the whole story to give us some context. And as I read it, I'm going to interject a few observations so that we can get a better idea of the setting of this story and uh, the snapshot of the wise men. And then after that, I've asked three of our very own wise people to come and help me uh, with this message. So after this introduction, uh, Pastor Jen's going to come and talk a little bit about the gift of gold and what that means. And then Pastor Bernie's going to come and talk about the gift of frankincense and what that means. And then Pastor Mark will come and share a little bit about the gift of myrrh and what that means. And then I'll come and we'll conclude. All right? All right. So here we go. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. And it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, Magi were wise men. They weren't kings, as in the song, you know, we three kings of Orient are. They really weren't kings. They were more like king makers. If you were a ruler in the east and you wanted to be able to rule effectively, you needed the support of the Magi. And it's believed that they had their origin around the time of Daniel, when Daniel was serving under King Nebuchadnezzar and King Darius, uh, and he was one of the chief wise men. It's believed that they had their origin around that time and that Daniel had a major influence on them, and that's why they were looking for the birth of this Jewish king, of this Jewish Messiah. They were looking for it. And so these magi arrived, and in verse 2 it says they asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Now, Herod was disturbed before this ever happened. We'll get a little bit more... We'll get a little bit more into that in just a minute, but he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And now when it says that the Magi arrived to worship him, please understand that not only were um, uh, they not kings, but there were also not just three of them. You know, our song, We Three Kings of Orient, all right, we assume there were three kings, and, uh, but they weren't kings and, and there weren't just three of them. I, I guess we get the idea they were three because they were three gifts, right, but Oh, scholars believe that there were actually probably dozens of magi who arrived and that they would have had um, all of the servants with them and their families as well. And there may have been as many as four or 500 in this caravan that arrived in Jerusalem. And that's why uh, all of Jerusalem was disturbed by their arrival and Herod was disturbed. Three men arriving on camels would not have made much of a disturbance. If three guys arrived on camels and started asking, where's the Messiah, they probably would have come with the men in the white coats, you know, and just, just brought them off. Herod wouldn't have even heard about it. But here we have all of these, these several hundred people uh, in, in an obviously uh, uh, kind of a, uh, uh, they're representatives from another land, from another nation. It's a diplomatic uh, entourage, and they're arriving. They're asking everybody, hey, where is this king of the Jews? Where, where is he? Where can we find him? And so all of Jerusalem is disturbed, and the news gets to Herod, and so uh, he's disturbed as well. And we go on in verse 4, and it says, When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, 
For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, Magi, they would have been surprised by all of this. From their perspective, they would have expected that when they arrived, Israel would be in celebration over the birth of this prophesied king. Here, they have made this long, difficult journey with all the expense and all the complexity of provisions for several hundred people. And they've come to honor this newborn king and rejoice with the people of Israel. And th their arrival in Jerusalem should have been seen as a friendly political gesture. And nobody cares. Nobody knows what's going on. The best they can do is point in the direction of Bethlehem and say, well, he's supposed to be born over there. Why don't you go down there and check it out? And so they set out for Bethlehem, and nobody accompanies them. No one goes with them. None of the chief priests, none of the Pharisees, none of the teachers of the law, the scribes, they aren't moved. Nobody cares. And we come to verse 7, it says, Then Herod called the Magi secretly, and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And of course, we know that Herod was lying. I mean, we said, you know, he was disturbed when they came. The reason he was disturbed is that he was fearful of anyone who would challenge his throne. Herod was a disturbed individual. He had several of his own sons killed because he was afraid they would take his throne away from him. It's reported that Caesar once said of Herod that Herod's animals in his stalls are safer than Herod's sons in his court. He was a maniacal dictator who had planned to have several hundred people in Israel gathered up and killed on the day of his death because he knew no one loved him and he wanted there to be crying and weeping in Israel when he died. He was a maniacal ruler. So we shouldn't be surprised when we learn that later on that he wanted to find this rival to his throne and, and have him killed. And so he says, okay, report to me that I too may go and worship him. And then verse 9. After they had heard the king, they went out on their way. And the star they had seen, when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. Now, Pastor Jen's going to come at this time and share about the gold a little bit. Would you make her feel welcome this morning? Morning, everybody. Morning. So Pastor tasked us with these tasks, and mine was gold. The gold represents kingship. So how do we know that gold represents kingship? Well, just like today, how many of you like gold? Everybody raise their hand. If you didn't raise your hand, you were probably lying. But anyways, but gold in that day was also very, very valuable. And one thing that you would typically bring to a king was gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So the fact that they were bringing that to Jesus represents his kingship. So 
the wise men believed that Jesus was king. So upon doing some research, and I'm going to cite creation today, you guys remember Balaam and his donkey? Well, they had something very important to do with Jesus and the wise men and the star. So according to creation today, Balaam was trying to curse the Israelites like he normally was. But once again, his attempts to curse the Israelites ended up in uttering the following prophecy in Numbers 24, verse 17. I see him, but now I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of the Moabs and destroy all the sons of Tumult. In one sense, the prophecy applies to Israel itself, particularly with the reference to David's conquest of the Moabites in 2 Samuel chapter 8, verse 2. However, the concept of the scepter is a symbol of kingship, refers not only to David, but also to David's lineage in Jesus. In Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, we hear about the scepter. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a, a lawgiver from between his feet, until shalom comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. This passage from Genesis refers to the coming Messiah, to be a descendant of Judah. So by inference, we can suggest that Numbers 24, 17 also refers to the coming Messiah. If Balaam is the ancestor of the wise men of Babylon, then it is likely that these wise men knew about Balaam's oracle. It is also makes sense that, as Pastor Paul had said, that they were in Daniel's time, they would have known about Daniel's prophecy in Daniel 9, 25 and 26 about the coming Messiah. So they just had words that prophets had spoken, but they believed that Jesus was king to the point that they were willing to disobey what the current king, Herod, told them to do because they knew that Jesus was the king of kings. That's pretty powerful, guys. So number three, God provided. So we're talking about the gold. So they didn't just bring a little bit of gold. Uh, scholars are thinking and theologians think they brought a lot of gold, so much so that they brought enough that God used them to provide. Because think about it. Did Mary and Joseph have a lot of money? No. So how would they flee when Herod was coming and stay in a foreign country for like five months? How many of you can stay at the Holiday Inn for five months? No, just don't raise your hands. I'm just kidding. But I'm just saying, so they ha God used them to provide enough for them to flee and then live on. Because also, I don't know if you know this, but Joseph didn't stay around forever. And they had more children. So Mary was on her own and still able to raise all the children, and Jesus wanted for nothing. In fact, this is what he said to his disciples. Jesus was so versed in how good God was and how God would always provide that he told the disciples in Matthew 6, verses 31 to 33, don't worry about anything, what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will wear. For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So in review, gold was very valuable, just like today, and gold represented Jesus' kingship. Number two, the wise men believed that Jesus was the king. 
so much so they put their money where their mouth was. And number three, God provided through the wise men. Mary and Joseph didn't know the wise men were coming. They didn't know this was coming. They weren't planning on it, but God used them to provide. So just like this, think about your life and think about gold in a different way. Praise the Lord. Amen. Matthew chapter 2, verse number 11, they presented him unto him frankincense. What is frankincense and what is its meaning? Well, first of all, frankincense is a white resin or a gum substance all right, taken from a tree. It's an aromic uh, uh, a resin uh, used in, uh, in incense and in perfumes. A lot of times you'll see frankincense that they use many times for oils today. What was it used for in the Bible? What's the purpose of this? It was used for offering something to God. There was an altar of incense. We've got to go back a little bit to understand this. You know, in the time in which God met Moses and gave him the Ten Commandments, he also gave him instructions, all right, to build the tabernacle. And in part of that tabernacle, there was an altar of incense sitting right outside the Holy of Holies. And it was as close as one could get to God without literally being in his presence. Wow, that's awesome. Psalms 141, 1 and 2 says this, Lord, I cry out to you, please make haste or hurry, God. Make haste to me and give ear to my voice when I cry out to you. Let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. So, what would the priest do in the Old Testament? The priest would burn the frankincense spice on an altar over 700 times a year. He knew that no priest other than the high priest could go beyond that point. I want you to remember high priest because that's very important, all right, when it comes to the, the understanding of why frankincense was given. We see that incense rising as it does with smoke is a picture of the prayers of the saints that are rising to heaven today. So we see that the incense on the altar is a picture of our prayer. In offering incense, frankincense, burning coals were taken from the altar of the burnt offering. So I want you to picture, we don't have a picture of the entire tabernacle. We do have a picture of the altar, though. If you could put that picture up. Yeah, so. You see, in the, in the Old Testament, when the tabernacle, later on, we see that King Solomon, he was the one that built the temple <clears throat> in which God's presence was there. So they had a structure. Here, this was a tent. This was as God went, all right, they folded everything up, all right, and they followed God. So we see here, all right, as, as the picture of prayers of the saints rising to heaven, we see the incense on the altar is a picture of our prayer. So now the burning coals, we see that there was an altar of burnt offering. So prior to the altar of incense, which is different, all right, before the altar of incense came the burnt offering in which all right, the priest would sacrifice all right, the animals upon that burnt offering. And the coals were placed on there. So what they would do then is that they would take the coals and now they would place them on to the offering of incense. Right, this altar, a burnt offering, which was this bronze altar in which you see in the picture. So 
this was used all day long as people came to offer their sacrifices. The high priest would go once a year into the Holy of Holies to sprinkle blood onto the mercy seat. Now, the mercy seat, all right, is what contained, all right, the contents of the ark, which the two tablets, was, which was the Ten Commandments, and it was also a jar of manna and a staff of Aaron, right, which miraculously budded, right, and it bloomed, it bloomed in such a, a miraculous way. So that was in right, what the covering of the mercy seat. So the blood would be sprinkled upon this mercy seat. So the high priest, once a year, would go into this place. He would go into beyond the holy place, into the presence of Almighty God, which is the Holy of Holies, to sprinkle this blood upon that seat. So the ministering priest went into the holy place twice a day, morning and evening, to offer their prayers. So these coals that were placed on the altar of incense in front of the Holy of Holies, on these coals the incense was then sprinkled. So the sweet, fragrant smoke rising heavy, heavenward, heavy, heaven would, would, would be symbolic. So what did it symbolize? Well, it was symbolic in the Old Testament of the prayers of the people of God. Once again, in Psalms 141, 2 says, Accept my prayers, incense offered to you, and my upraised hands as an evening offering. You know, one of the worship songs here today are heard, all right, in part of the words, it said, God, he says, I want to have a heart like you. Now, when even in your worship time, even when you're worshiping, all right, you see the words that are up there, all right, what you're doing, all right, when you're speaking those words and you want the heart after God, and therefore you, what you're doing, you're send, sending up a sweet aroma in the presence of Almighty God. Because he's hearing your prayer. He's hearing your cry unto him. You're crying out to him. And you're saying, God, I want to be like you. God, I want to have a heart like you. God, I want to be like you every day of my life. I want less of me, and I want more of you. The golden altar of incense tells us of the ministry of Jesus as our intercessor. Oh, hallelujah. Right, whose prayers never stop, never stop ascending to God on our behalf. You know, when Peter stood before Jesus and Jesus said to him in Luke chapter 22, he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has come to sift you as wheat. But I'm praying for you, Peter. I'm praying for you that your faith may not fail. And therefore, he says, when you return, now strengthen your brothers. If it wasn't for the prayer of Jesus Christ, all right, then Peter never would have been strengthened. So therefore, Jesus said, I'm praying for you. Jesus is our great intercessor. Jesus is praying for you this very day. Amen? He will always pray for his own, no matter where they are. He can intercede on our behalf because of the atoning work of the cross of Calvary, the mercy seat. Praise God for the blood of Jesus Christ. The incense was fueled by fire from the altar. Hallelujah. The fire of the Holy Spirit moving upon us. It is not just anyone praying for us, but the king himself, the king, yeah, the king of amen. kings and the Lord of amen. lords, as represented by the crown of gold in which you see up there. He knows our weaknesses and he knows our failings and he's praying for us always. Right now, you're being prayed for. Amen? Amen. The question, amen. why give frankincense to Jesus at his birth? God is telling us something here. Number one, that Jesus is our great intercessor and he receives our prayers. In Romans 8.34, tells us Jesus is at the right hand of God making intercession for us. Amen? Yes, amen. amen. That, as, that as incense on the altar begins with man, and as it burns, it ascends upward to God. Hallelujah. 
And so likewise, our prayers begin in the heart and ascend upward, heavenward to God himself. Incense means that Jesus is waiting to receive our adoration, petitions, and our supplications. Supplications is a form of prayer where one, wherein one party humbly or earnestly asks another party to provide something. You're asking God to provide something right, on your behalf before the presence of Almighty God because Jesus Christ is the great high priest. Amen? Frankincense means that it's okay to pour out your heart to God in prayer. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, give all your worries and give all your cares to God, for he cares for you. It's okay to tell God how you feel. It's okay to release your burdens to him. It's okay to offer up your innermost groanings to the Lord. And it's okay to pour out your prayer on earth and believe that it ascends to heaven. In other words, if the sovereignty of God involves trusting, then the supplication involves us telling God. Amen? Why is frankincense so important? Because the golden altar of incense of the Old Testament tabernacle is a picture of Jesus, our intercessor. Notice your incense altar. The horns, the altar of incense has four horns, one on each corner. Horns in the Bible represent power and strength. Horns mean you have power in prayer. Amen? The crown. The altar was crowned with a ledge of gold. The crown of ledge kept the burning coals of incense from falling to the ground. And the crown was to give us confidence that our incense of prayer doesn't fall wasted to the ground. And the golden rings, the rings were so the poles could carry the altar all through the wilderness. Why? To assure Israel and us that wherever you go, you can touch God in prayer, and God will hear you wherever you are. Amen? Amen? And I'll close with this. In Hebrews chapter 4, and verse number 14 and 15 says this, one of my favorite scriptures. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was at all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly. Let's say boldly. boldly. Not sheepishly. Boldly. boldly. Amen. Boldly. We're sheep that can come boldly before the throne of grace because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We can come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in help in time of need. The Amen. sweet aroma of the fragrance, all right, that is rising up from your prayers, all right, that is lifting up before the throne of grace, that you can believe, all right, that Jesus Christ, your great high priest and your intercessor, is right now working on your behalf. Amen? Amen. He Amen. is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Yes. God Amen. bless you. I was given the test of investigating the last gift, myrrh. And unlike the frankincense, which is sweet and savory, the myrrh was very bitter. And again, it comes from the tree or the bush in North Africa, and they would cut it in a certain way. They would just cut the branches that the branches would weep so they could catch the sap. And they said when the myrrh came out, the sap would come out in shapes of a tear. So the myrrh signifies, signifies Christ's suffering for us. Christ's suffering. And I thought that neatness of the cutting, how it came out in the tears. And they would gather the tears or they'd gather the resin.
and of course they would burn it and grind it. This uh, uh, myrrh is actually an Arabic word for bitter. It means bitter, not sweet, not savory like the frankincense. And it was used much like the frankincense. You could burn it. It was very expensive. Actually, they said the gold and the frankincense was worth more than the weight of the gold that was brought. Wow. Was worth more than the weight of the gold that was brought as the gift. In ancient times, it was used as an uh, exotic, priceless gift given to kings. Okay, it had very many medicinal, uh, uh, many medicinal uh, usage. Um, in the ancient world, it was used as a perfume, obviously as an anointing oil, and this medicinal tonic for the inside and the outside. And it was drank. I can't imagine that bitter drinking, that bitter drink derived from this resin. But they took it internally. Most notably, though, in regard to Jesus' life, that's what we're talking about today, myrrh was the key ingredient used in anointing the dead, used, mixed with other aloes, and anointing the dead. So I think the, the wise men knew they were in preparation because they believed, like Pastor Jen said, they believed that Jesus was the King of Kings and the Messiah. Amen? In their heart. Mm -hmm. So they were using, giving this spice as a preparation for his burial. <laughs> to the tiny king, to the baby king. Um, perhaps the wise men intended this gift as an indication of humanity, the humanity that Christ took on for us as the baby child and the manner in which he would save his people, namely suffering and dying for us. You know, his whole life was a life of suffering for us, a whole life he took on to suffer for us. He chose to come. You know he had it good in heaven? <laughs> Amen? He had it good in heaven. Uh, he would die for us. Just like the first two gifts, there's a temple connection with myrrh as well. Like Pastor was saying, like Pastor Bernie was saying, the sweet savoriness that was burned as the prayers. This was the opposite. When you, they used the myrrh, they mixed it with different aloes and oils, and they anointed all the instruments. They anointed the priests. They anointed every por portion of the temple before the incense was burned. Before the priests went in, they anointed the priest with the myrrh. Exodus 30 tells us that liquid myrrh was the main ingredient in the anointing oil used ceremonially to prepare the priest, the instruments, the altar, and the temple itself before the sacrifices could be made. Isn't that what they did with Jesus? Before the sacrifice could be made. This parallels to Jesus' consecrated life and sacrificial death. The Bible records myrrh showing up three times in the scriptures and in the life of Jesus. Matthew states that the wise men, of course, visited the baby and bringing this gift. Mark notes that when Jesus was dying on the cross, someone mixed myrrh and tried to give it to him to relieve his pain and he rejected it. It was the myrrh. That was the spice that was mixed and offered up to him. Finally, John says, Nicodemus brought a mixture of 75 pounds. Can you imagine at what great cost that was? 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes to anoint Jesus' body when it was laid in the tomb. Myrrh was presented to Jesus as a babe, pointing to his life as a prophet. 
and it was used as his death to anoint his body for the grave. Myrrh symbolizes bitterness, as we talked about before, suffering and affliction. The baby Jesus grew to suffer greatly as a man, and he would pay the ultimate price when he gave his life on the cross for all of us. Verse 4 of We Three Kings reads this, Myrrh is mine, its bitter perfume breathes a life of gathering gloom, sorrow sighing, bleeding dying, sealed in the stone cold tomb. So in this snapshot in the moment of time, we're looking at the wise men, they presented the gift of myrrh. They were seeing and acknowledging that this child would suffer in order to redeem us humanity. Thank you so much for those insights on the uh, gifts of the Magi. And uh, as we conclude this morning, the gifts that the Magi brought to the Lord Jesus showed the great spiritual insight that they had. They understood the implications of Jesus' birth and they acted on them. Their gifts show us something of what was going on in their hearts. And they prompt and challenge us to look inward and observe for a minute what is going on in our hearts. The gift of gold that symbolizes his kingship calls us to look inside and ask ourselves if Jesus is reigning as king on our hearts. Is he the ruler of our hearts? Is Jesus my king? Is he sitting on the throne there making the decisions? And then the gift of frankincense calls us to ask ourselves, am I at peace with God? Is Jesus that one mediator? Am I trusting in Jesus alone to bridge the gap between me and God? Or am I, am I trying the best I can in my own abilities to try to make myself good enough for God? We can never do that. But Jesus is the one and only sacrifice the one and only mediator between God and man, the one who makes us at peace with God the Father. And then the gift of myrrh, it calls us to ask ourselves, have I appreciated the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ? The great price that he paid, the great suffering that he endured to pay the penalty for my sin, a penalty that, that he didn't deserve, that, that he didn't earn, a penalty that, that I deserved and that, that I earned, a suffering that he engaged in so that I wouldn't have to, so that you wouldn't have to. He paid the penalty for our sin. He suffered for our sin. And this gift of myrrh calls us to ask, do I appreciate the suffering that the Lord Jesus went through for me. I never want a day to go by. You never want a day to go by when you take the suffering of the Lord Jesus for granted. Amen. Would you all bow with me and pray?